Tonight's shapeshifter is part of a family who, which has been in operating in the Joburg CBD for probably the last 50, 60 years, maybe a little bit longer. Um, Reese Mann is founder of the Fashion District, but so many more things. Reese Mann, nice to have you in the Money Show um, studio. Nice to be here in the studio. Now, your dad started a fabric business in downtown Johannesburg, 1948? 1948, yes. My grandfather stopped in Cape Town during the Second World War, and the Cape Townians were so nice to the sailors that they took them out, washed their clothes, gave them clothing. So he wrote to my grandmother and said she must sell everything, and they must come to South Africa. And uh, in those days, women did what their husbands told them to do. And my father had just finished his apprenticeship. And apprenticeship as what? As a tailor, as okay. a tailor in London. And he came, he, he, they came seven days um, by plane. London, <laughs> London, Paris, overnight Paris, Paris, we, Rome, we, overnight Rome. We forget, we're bitching about SAA's results and the fact they can't make money on those long haul routes. But I mean, seven day flights in the 1940s, um, cha- the game has changed a lot. And then he got a job right in Pritchard Street, um, um, at what, which is, was his first job as, as a tailor. And uh, him and him and my grandmother um, made very bespoke reversible jackets at night because my dad's always had a theory foreigners have got nothing to do so they've got lots to gain out of a new in a new economy because they've got the time on the on the hands and they made very exclusive reversible jackets for the bourgeoisie of the mining thing got quite a reputation amongst amongst themselves and then um, my grandmother really didn't like South Africa and she found them a little unfriendly and broke down in tears and at the clothing manufacturing company at that time and another woman came to her rescue and lo and behold that's my both my grandmothers ah. the families married each other so it's genetic I had no choice of getting into the clothing industry okay so you got into the clothing industry in downtown Johannesburg uh, Pritchard Street at the time was a very different street of course uh, Joburg was a, a white uh, city centre it was a white CBD the Group Areas Act was being brought into force in 1948 of course the Nats mm. had just uh, come to power in 1948 apartheid was in its early throes um, and the CBD of Johannesburg was a very different place to what it is today the business I'm sure bloomed and blossomed and grew yes I mean you, you had Illoff Street where the ladies used to wear their white gloves and get dressed up in the sixes and sevens just to walk down I've got an old monopoly set where Illoff Street is the most expensive property on the, uh, on the board I mean you had Cats and Lurie there you had Derbers, you had all the fur of the fur shops in Pritchard Street, in in Illoff Street. Pritchard Street in those in in, in the in the in the sixties when I remember sixties, seventies is 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 probably my my earliest um, recollections was a buzzing street. I mean, it was manufacturers all the way. There were manufacturers. The streets looked like scenes that you see in downtown New York. But it is there was a there was a garment district effectively, wasn't yeah. it? It was a garment district, and the garment district on the eastern part of town got so big that it had to go into New Dunfantine. After New Dunfantine, it had to move elsewhere. Um, but as you said, with the, um, with the apartheid system, the clothing industry was a very inefficient thing because nobody wanted to trade with us. So whatever we produced had a market in South Africa. And your company, your parents' company, the company that you still run today, actually got a very lucrative contract with, the, what was the forerunner of Edgar's? It was called something else. Um... Now, now you've got me. Uh, uh, United Purchasing. United Purchasing. Yeah. We did a lot of work for United Purchasing. 
um, and whatever we could manufacture, they took from us. And it, uh, it became a very vibrant business in the 70s. The 80s, later 80s, became um, very difficult. Um, and in the 90s, the early 90s, the whole world opened up to South Africa and we basically got quite a clap on our face and realized. Because, I mean, and we forget, and it's so easy to forget 30 years ago what a different country this was in terms of it being isolated, in terms of it having to be self-sufficient to a large degree. Um, and, you know, we didn't have cheap Chinese imports. We didn't have Vietnamese T-shirts and nobody wanted to sell us Savile Row suits unless you managed to get on a flight mm-hmm. to London and go buy yourself one there. It all had to be done here. And did it lead to a burgeoning industry? It did. I mean, there was, I mean, the industry, the industry was a boom and bust, um, basically, industry. And then 1992s, virtually the, uh, we were one of the, bigger ones to remain and we closed down in, in, in April 1992 as a formal manufacturer but just remember the changes that were taking place in South Africa and specific Johannesburg over there Johannesburg was starting to be very run down because now the exit of the big clothing manufacturers left these buildings very vulnerable for being um, taken over by slumlords and slumlords moved into all these buildings and the 1980s the 1980s was a very Dangerous part of Joe down in the bottom Joburg CBD. Yeah, absolutely, and and that led to, uh, that would have had a self perpetuating sort of mm. process where it would have then sort of perpetuated an even greater exodus mm. of the old sort of middle classes mm. of Johannesburg out of that area, leaving it fairly vacant. And as a result, we then saw the, a, a dramatic change in the profile of the city of Johannesburg. Yeah, and it wasn't just flats that they were moving into; um, people were moving into making. Um, Using corrugated iron, using cardboard boxes, and these all and moving into commercial buildings as well, and sort of office buildings and and sleeping ten in a room sort of stuff. And I mean, you surviving. can make you yeah. can make a fortune. Um, yeah. um, the building that used to host all the title deeds in Johannesburg um, and and the Bank of Lisbon. I mean, that building has got probably five hundred five hundred little offices in it. Each office hosted a family, and each family paid five hundred rand yeah. um, to a slumlord. I mean, you got enormous returns on an investment that you didn't pay for in the first place. Why then did the man's stay in downtown Joburg? I think you have to take. We, I've always believed you either part of a problem or you're part of a solution, and. You, you, and, and everything you do in your life, you have to. You have to. Do this. You want to complain about something. You're not part of the solution. So become part of the problem and do something about it. And then we made a decision that while everybody else was moving out the CBD, that there was new opportunities, that the CBD could not always stay like that. There was infrastructure. I mean, I looked at the infrastructure when when it was even in bad. You could not replace the roads, the electricity, the sewage system and that. Something had to give some time because it can't – it could never have got – um, it would have to turn around at some time, and we were looking for opportunities for that turning around. So, very in, patient, very patient. Nineteen ninety two, when we closed yeah. down the manufacturers, to nineteen ninety four, I started buying up every single clothing liquidate business I could, and we started selling their second hand sewing machines. And what happened is we were creating a new market for ourselves that we would tap into at a later stage. So we sold about 1,500 industrial sewing machines to extra trenched workers in six months. And eventually we got to a point where we couldn't get our hands on any industrial sewing machine. So we had to start 
importing them and buying new sewing machines. And then from then, we got, we got our own client base. So we got a natural client base working in these little, small little flats and um, which we basically considered them as just uh, dressmakers who just surviving. And there was a whole new market. It's unmeasured. I mean, there's a lot of economies in the Johannesburg CBD that's, that's, that is just unmeasured. Nobody knows about the existence of these hundreds of sewers in all these buildings who are making anything from traditional um, African wear to curtains to school uniforms. Um, there is a buzzing and Joburg CBD I've always loved and always had a yeah. passionate about it because it's, it's always so exciting. Something was always happening in it. So what happened in 1994 just before the uh, general election um, we really invested um, in, 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 in a big building. We took big space. We made it look like Santon City. They called it Santon City and Pritchard Street. And it was the first like major haberdashery store that had a, over, a, a total overhaul. And we did this in the February while my friends were either leaving for overseas. Um, some of them were storing water, um, having their baked beans, and they would deny it now. Um, but I know they did have it. And we knew things had to change and there's a new South Africa that we needed to adapt. And I think that's been a success of our business is adapting. What is that business today? Because you went out of manufacturing in 1992. Mm. You then uh, went into selling second-hand sewing machines, importing sewing machines and creating that particular uh, outlet for you. You're, you're big importers of fabric. Mm. Um, take we, me through it. We, we basically then went onto the supply chain. We found out now that there's thousands of these little micro-businesses in Johannesburg who in the clothing industry. Nobody wanted to treat them as a manufacturer. So we, contra- we considered somebody who sews for a living, and even if they only work for themselves, we considered them a manufacturer. So we gave them wholesale prices. And then we started supplying them with the haberdashery. Then it landed up with the textiles then, and the machines, then spares for their machines. And then we started listening to the customers. Now, now Joburg had changed a lot and we then found out we went into bridal hire business that we found out there's a market for bridal hire business. Then we didn't the saturated the amount of sewing machines that we could sell in Johannesburg CBD. We opened up a we opened up a training center um, out of out of pure I was very cross with um, Vitz Technicon at the moment okay. because it was still Lily White. I was chairman yeah. of the advisory council and their student body didn't represent the demographics of South Africa and I was very upset about it because you had to have art to study fashion. And in those days, Soweto didn't have any art teachers. It didn't no. have anything. So the status quo was going to remain. So I started up in uh, I started up a fashion college, so that they could come and study for a year and be fed into the Technicon, and that's just grown. Um, it's grown now to be one of. Uh, a, a, a top fashion school in the centre of Joburg. Um, our fees are are half of any government subsidised. Um, um, at the end of the first year, they leave with a sewing machine. At the end of the second year, they leave with an overlocker so that the skills they've learned, they can open up their own business. And we tell all our students, if you want to come here looking for a job, you're in the wrong place. If you want to create your own job, we're the right people. We can show you how to do it. Do you make a living out of this or do you make money out of this? Because there's a difference. I mean, because you sound like a social entrepreneur. No, I think I am. Rather than a a go-getting cutthroat businessman who's in here to to get a a profit margin of 25% come hell or high water. No, I think... uh 
I, I, I definitely think social entrepreneurs, I make a living. I make a, a, a living and when I do make good profits, I plump it into, uh, plump it into another venture um, that would help. But more than that, I think time. And I think this is the difference between our family and uh, in every single one of our family members who are involved in our, our we give time. So my wife doing time for hospice, my sister doing sitting on boards is giving time and, and being involved and integrating yourself with the community that you operate. And that's very important. So yes, I think I'm a social entrepreneur. I like spending money on social projects and I like proving people wrong. Uh, and how, how do you measure your impact? I mean, just, I mean, when I bought the first building in Johannesburg, I mean, uh, it, it took You me must have got it for nothing. I paid 900,000 rand for a seven-story building, so it actually cost me more to, uh, to <laughs> tile the place than it is to buy it, um, which everybody thought I was absolute lunatic at the time. Now, fortunately, that building has given me the opportunity to raise funds to buy other buildings and to expand the businesses, just one building. And we bought – subsequently, we bought um, two other buildings, um, and now we're starting to buy buildings in with other people who want to invest in the CBD. Um, but again – all the buildings are earmarked for the clothing industry and clothing related. One is under the impression that South Africa's clothing industry is as good as dead um, because we've seen the subsidy system not really work very well. We've seen the Cape Flats textile industry really struggle. We've seen the likes of Rex Trueform and the, and the big groups really struggle in the face of these huge imports. Up until 1992, oh. you manufactured clothing for Edgars. As soon as the borders opened up, they went off to Asia to get cheap imports. Um, the fact that you are persisting um, in an industry that's supposed to be dead is extraordinary. I just think there's a very logical answer there is that if – there's about seven people in the South Africa at the moment importing sewing machines, industrial sewing machines. There's thousands of sewing machines still going into the market. The sewing and the clothing industry is not shrink is not shrinking. It's expanding, but it's expanding in Alexander and it's Soweto. Informal. It's very informal. And if you go into Soweto and you actually go into the trendy areas, even in Hillbrow and that, the trendy areas, people don't want locally mowed clothing that's very South African, that's very Hillbrow, very downtown. Um, if, you, if you look at the youngsters, what they're wearing in, in um, Bromfontein is not the same as what they're wearing in Arts and Main. It's a different type of But it's not commercially available stuff, and that's the point. It differentiates itself in that way. It, it differentiates themselves, and some of our customers who are, are making very specific. If you actually just look at the average size of a South African, the average size of a South African is an outsize. They're not in the 34, 30, uh, 32s that we see at Fashion Week. They're the 40, 42s, mm. 44s. And there's a lot of clients who are just concentrating on that market and the big chains can't do it because what they make – what they're making for, for Europe and everything where our big chains have to tap in, they don't make it for size 44 for the European market. Um, when you look at what you're creating and what you're developing, what is it? Because from a, 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 you know, a, a six-decade-old family business of textile manufacture and manufacturing of clothes, you've diversified to such an extent that it's quite hard to sort of pigeonhole you and sort of decide, decide, are you in the manufacturing business, the training business, the import business? What is it? We're in the fashion business. Ah. We, we're in the fashion business. And fashion is determined now and defined by not just what you wear, it's what you wear, what you eat, what you drive. Mm -hmm. um, and where and you where hang. Where you stay and where you hang. 
I mean, there's, 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 there's some people who just hang around restaurants just because it looks good and it's nice there. The food is disgusting. Yeah. Um, but it's very fashionable to be there. What is happening in Pritchard Street now? Pritchard Street is now growing, and and it's not just about us. Is If you actually look at the 20 city blocks that is, is within the fashion district, there's probably over 100 fabric suppliers and haberdashers in that area now. A lot of them have... have Pakistani has Pakistanis have moved in, and we've got a huge Ethiopian market is moving in with curtaining, which is now creating that market. And there's over one billion rands worth of investment in converting those buildings into flats. And things are changing. It's looking good. It's looking bright. It's not looking dreary like it did in the. Uh, I think it's looking better now than it did in the 70s. Uh, if it wasn't for him, we would, have, we would not have a swimming pool at Maris Brothers Lundmeyer today. He drove the dream. Nice to hear him on the radio. He could be a good politician, I think. He seemed too honest to be a politician. I actually was a politician Were for, you? for 18 months. I became a city councillor for 18 months. And, and did that cure you? Uh, it cured me. Um, <laughs> Sheila Cameron said in Parliament that, um, that Rosettenville is the safest National Party seat in the country. And I stood for eight. I, I stood and um, won. And won. Well, who did you stand for? I stood for the D, DP at that time. Okay. We only got three percent of the vote um, in the election. And in 1998, I got 93 percent of the vote, and it was just to prove everybody wrong. Because that's was, what you like to do. And my gran had something about Sheila Cameron because her father, Bradenhorst, had crossed sides from the UP to the next. <laughs> so my gran never, for, never forgave. Oh, those old the, political party rivalries. And, and, and never forgave him. And it actually did. But I actually found that, that being a member of the city council was like being a, a, like being a crew member of, a, of an oil tanker. You can't move it. And I mm-hmm. wanted to get, get around. So You're having far bigger impact outside than in. Yes, and I am making an impact. What do you? What is the current, your current project? What are you trying to prove people wrong on at present? Um, we want to create a whole um, center at the moment that is a a, a, a community center that is going to actually pay for itself. We're going to have gym. We're going to have gym, dancing, ballet in it. We're going to make it a a a center for rehabilitation um, for 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 people who have been abused um, and specifically focus on, on males because that's where... That's we, your charity work. That's, yeah. that's my charity. We, we, we really want to do that now. And long-term is to get Poly Street, which just runs off Pritchard Street, to get Poly Street to have the most African restaurants in any part of <laughs> Johannesburg CBD. That I want you to be able to go to Poly Street and actually have the entire... Pan-African restaurants. You feel a little Ethiopian or a a little Ghanaian coming on. You you can find it there. And if you actually have a look, it's only six. It's 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 five to six blocks between EPSA head office and ourselves um, in the fashion district. And we could run that nice little thing that everybody could be there at lunchtime and create this nice restaurant. So I think that's the restaurant area. That's very pan-African. Okay, there's that. And then uh, Viv wants to know how you get in contact with all of these hundreds of people who are doing sewing in the Joburg CBD. Is there an organization? Is there a way? Are you a conduit perhaps to, if I need some sewing done, can I contact you somehow to get that done? We are conduit and we can tell you which buildings, um, depending on how many. If you want one ofs, we can tell you where to go. If, we want, if you want more than 10 ofs, we can tell you where you go. But the Fashion District Institute is is going to start now starting to log them and put them on a website. That okay, be able to but, but how do people get hold of you to get that information? They just normally pop in and come and see me. I spend every single day of my life in Pritchard Street, so they could contact but, me. But Viv might not want to go to Pritchard Street. 
Viv might not want to go to Then she's not going to get her clothing. <laughs> and Viv, ho- hopefully Viv is not one of those people. So who goes to town? 600,000 people come to the CBD every single day. But that's the point. It is vibrant. It is electric. And there is a lot of stuff going on there that um, we kind of we discount as, as being sub-economic. And it's not. That's what's driving uh, the city's economy. And no, no, we, we need a lot of us in there. Yeah. We need a lot of us. Viv, get hold of him. Pritchard Street, what address? Uh, 109 Pritchard Street. 109 Pritchard Street, Viv. There we go. That's how you get hold of him. Um, really working hard at enhancing the, the, um, the CBD. Reese Mann, his family business has been there for 65 years, and he's still uh, very much a shapeshifter in that space. Nice to hear your story. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for being here.